Welcome to episode 12 of the Civil War Breakfast Club. I am your co-host, Mary, and I am joined by my awesome co-host, Darren Weeks. Who's that guy? Hey, Mary, how are you? <laughs> hey. Look, looking around here to see what the hell you're talking about. Awesome co-host. Wow, oh. flattery will get you everywhere. I know. Trust me. <laughs> so, um, so what's new? How was the last couple of days? Haven't talked to you in, I don't know, two minutes. So what's, well, what's been going on since then? <laughs> Well, I had a really great weekend. I thought we had a really great live with, with Jen, our first guest. Jay Price was we, our first guest. We did. It was nice for her to stop by, and she yeah. hung, hung up for the whole time. We were talking about ghosts and other supernatural events back from the Civil War stories, which was very timely, because you know why? It was Halloween when we actually did it. Yep, and before that, we had our episode about drinking with Civil War generals. We did, and tonight we're going to be doing going back into the battlefield, but going back to that episode last time, did you have a good Halloween? Did, what did you do on Halloween? Did you egg any cars, toilet paper? No, I had a pretty low-key Halloween because there's a pandemic going on. Oh, that's <laughs> right. I forgot about that. I no, about I that. stayed inside and I ate pizza and watched music videos. That was my exciting Saturday night. Oh, that was pretty cool. What did I do on Saturday night? Nothing. I did nothing. It was fine. You know, it was actually fine. We didn't have any trick-or-treaters yeah. this year. None, which is fine. What more candy for me? Peanut butter cups. That's why you always get the good candy and you keep the candy because what you, you, don't, get, you don't get the shit like the almond joy or any of that. You want the stuff and no one comes, you're going to be able to eat. <laughs> Kit exactly. Kat bars, peanut butter cups, Snicker bars. Remember the old whatchamacallit bars? Remember those? Yeah. Although oh. those I discovered when I was in the United States because we don't have them here in Canada. So You guys can't spell whatchamacallit. That's why. I probably can't say whatchamacallit. You can say oh, that. I just did. Oh, look at that. That's but I can't pencil. say, I can't say Henry Heath there. Oh, I just said it. Oh. We had a fun time with that. <laughs> so you want to talk about Heath and Meager and Kearney anymore? <laughs> no, I don't. That If people would like to see me bastardizing Civil War names, please tune into our Facebook Lives because I am guaranteed to fucking do that. You took it so well, though. Actually, before we go any further, I do want to just say thank you again to Jen for joining us for mm -hmm. the episode. She was our first ever guest. Yeah. She will always be in history as known as the first guest we've ever had on the Breakfast Club. And she was awesome at it. And she will definitely be back on to talk about some different things. But she yeah. did very, very well. And I thought it was a good podcast. And, yep. um, got some good plans. Got some good fun yep. for tonight, I think. But I guess before we get started, we have to talk about our libations. We do. Which is going to be kind of a hint at what we're going to talk about. Just so you know what we're going to be talking about. Tonight, we're going to get some balls on us. Yep. We're going to talk about the Battle of Balls Bluff. <laughs> we'll see how much balls you got, as they say. So I wonder that's if E.P. Like, Alexander's involved in this battle. I hope he is. I hope he is. <laughs> he's he, not. He bounces him pretty well. Actually, I don't think he is. I don't think, no, I don't he's think, not. We're not going to have a Bushrod sighting. We're not going to no. have a... Oh, oh, no, oh, oh. No, this is going to this is going to have to... We'll have to behave ourselves tonight. There's going to be no trip to the old... Bang barn. The bang barn tonight. You know, <laughs> the, the, we'll be, that'll, that'll be retired for the night. Said, None of the, this is early in the war. We'll be talking about the Battle of Balls Bluff, which occurred on October 21st, 1861 AD in Loudoun County, Virginia. We're going to talk about that. But I guess before we get into the details of this very underrated battle, Mary, we have to talk about what we're going to be drinking, right? Yes. Canadians first. All right, I am drinking totally appropriate Balls Falls Session IPA by Bench Brewing Company. That sounds pretty solid. And it's in I, my Abraham Lincoln mug, who is argu arguably the best president the United States has ever had. I think I would agree with that. I think yeah. I, would, I would definitely agree with that. I am drinking Baby Seal Pool Party, and it is by uh, Shireen Brewery, and I'm drinking it because it's got a beach ball on it. It's the closest I can do to finding a beer with balls. So that's what I'm going to do. So... That's what I got. So that's what I'll be drinking. And likewise, I'm also drinking it out of my Abraham Lincoln coffee mug. Because nice. we are the breakfast club and we got to drink yep. about coffee mugs. So anyway, Mary, you ever see the Ken Burns documentary? Yes. Probably about I a thousand have. times. Yep. Do you remember, the remember at the beginning, they say the Civil War was fought in 10,000 places. Yep. They talk about that. We're going to talk about one of those places tonight. That Obviously. Is not <laughs> We'll just edit that wise-ass comment out. Duh. But um, my point was, it's not Gettysburg or Antietam, no. or Vicksburg, or all the popular ones, all the greatest hits album stuff. This is, we're, talk, this, we're talking B-sides now. We're going to talk about, see what I did, B-sides, balls. Nice. Balls, yeah. It's okay. You'll, you'll, <laughs> you don't pay attention. You, you'll get that when you watch this on replay. Oh my God, that's what you meant. Well, no, I knew it was what you meant. It's kind of like whatever the B-side was to let it be. It was like let, shitty it was, let it, it was let it be-side. Oh get it? No. Oh, you're in a great mood tonight. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we're going we're gonna, we're gonna to talk about, are you done? 
we're gonna we're gonna talk about the battle of balls bluff and the reason why i was going with the whole ten thousand battles to a point is that it's a very obscure but it's a very Mm -hmm. important one it's one at the beginning of the war it's one that the both armies still didn't really know what they were getting themselves into there was some names that we probably haven't heard of before we'll talk about they aren't we're not talking about longstreet and lee and Mead and all the big guys. This, this we're kind of getting down to the weeds a little bit, literally and figuratively. Well, it's an important battle, I think, not just you know the amount of casualties for the Union compared to the Confederates, but just the fact, like first of all, that it was never supposed to be a battle. It never should have happened. It's what I would it would fall under the clusterfuck category. But the other reason that this battle is important is it is so political, and it just shows how tied together politics and the war truly are, because the end result is something that has will keep going until the end of the civil war and it's the reason why civil war generals become very fearful of sometimes executing their orders or maybe not doing certain things this battle is almost like the uh, the ap hill trip to new york city of battles it's stuck with you for a long time afterwards it is. all the way through you yes. know what i mean and it has the ramifications you talked about i mean it seems like a relatively small battle but it's a significant one to your point you gotta set the stage a little bit about how this war was going on at the time this is this is october 21st 1861 loudon county virginia if you know the area it is right along the potomac heading north so it's you pass georgetown university you pass langley where the cia building is it's mm-hmm. right in that area right on the um, river there so we're talking about going back to mcclellan he just take he has just taken over the army after bull run and he's in his continual phase of wanting to build the army wants to defend washington so what he's doing is he kind of spreads the army out along the potomac up north and south give them some room spread them out a little bit and train them the rebs by Joseph Johnston are on the other side of the Potomac. They're on the other, just other side of the river. And they're all just kind of sitting there. It's getting late in the year. Maybe they're thinking about maybe going into winter's quarters a little bit. You know, no one's thinking there's going to be a battle. This is just going to be hanging out. And it kind of goes from there. There's a town not far from Falls Bluff, which is what we're going to be talking about, called Leesburg, which is a town in Virginia. And it's problematic for the north, for McClellan, for a couple of different reasons. It's got a lot of a lot of fords, a lot of places to cross the river. So the Rebs, if they position themselves in the Leesburg area, it's a relatively short jumping point to get over the Potomac into Maryland and work their way back down towards Washington. So it's an area that the McClellan wants to make sure he has people up in that area defending him. Johnson, to, to be honest, he isn't really planning on doing a hell of a lot. It doesn't seem like he was anyway. No, he has his army passive at this point. Yeah. I find. He has his army spread out. They're coming off the you know, the big victory over there at Bull Run. Mm-hmm. And he just wants to basically kind of spread them out a little bit themselves and kind of sit there and catch their breath and, and chill a little bit. Outside of Leesburg, he has he has a guy named Kurt Nathan Shanks Evans, a mm-hmm. great name. Gets his name Shanks because he has some sort of leg issue. Yeah, he's got knock-kneed legs, apparently. He's got, and they called him Shanks. Think how mean these people are back then. I know. If you had any, any abnormality, you got a nickname. Oh, yeah. And it was it was that was his name at West Point apparently is where he got it mm-hmm. from and he was uh, quite the character from the research I did about him too. You know what he liked to do, Mary? He liked to do a lot of things you like to do. Drink. Namely what? Drink. Namely drink. Yeah, apparently at First Bull Run there was an aide following him around with whiskey. This guy was hardcore. But the thing is though, is he actually had talent? He did. He was. A, I don't want to say he was a hero at Bull Run, but he was able to maintain that flank and he held off the Union forces long enough for for our boy Beauregard. He's going to be around tonight. Yep. And Johnson to help shift that shift the army around to focus a little bit to kind of mm-hmm. keep them off. So I guess that qualifies as a quasi hero. But he had a, he had a name for himself. He's a yep. South Carolinian guy, West Point class of eighteen forty eight. To your point, he's a he's a big drinker. Yep. He's he's basically running a brigade up outside of Leesburg. It's got about 3,000 guys, primarily Mississippians, 13th, 17th, 18th Mississippi, and he's got the 8th Virginia with him. And he's mm-hmm. got some cavalry. And their, their job basically is to hang around outside of Leesburg and just kind of chill a little bit and just kind of be there to extend the line. They're up there, and I, I have to think they're just thinking they're sitting on a campfire, probably just drinking some of that stuff we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Just kind of... <laughs> just kind of hanging out with them. Sounds like he was you know, a, well, he was Southern and he was obviously a whiskey guy. Mm-hmm. So that's what they said he was drinking at first Manassas. I know there are a lot of whiskey people. We talked about that. He's got a little weird feeling about him because he's sitting here and everyone's thinking, nah, you know, nothing's going to happen. He's looking across the river 
Mm-hmm. And he starts to notice that there's some Union forces on the other side that are, that are kind of building. And it goes back to what Mac was concerned about George McClellan, that he was concerned primarily about those riverbeds, those river passes. So he's going to move some of the Union people up a little bit towards that area. Shanks, Evans is going to see it, and he's going to get a, get a little bit nervous about it. And once he starts to see these Union forces on their side, you know, he's noticing a, there's a skirmish heading towards Harpers Ferry, and there's, there's a little things going on that are starting to confer, concern him a little bit. So he does what anybody would do, apparently, in that situation, is he rolls them up and takes off and leaves. Yep, right? except he doesn't tell Beauregard about it. He doesn't. And he's he not doesn't. happy about it. He's going to get the hell out of Dodge. He's going to try to take off. He's just going to go. And so it kind of sets in motion this whole clusterfuck thing you talked about, mm-hmm. about what this was. So he's trying to figure out exactly. The Union Army doesn't know what the hell's going on. McClellan, again, he's the numbers thing. He isn't sure how many people they have over there. And he doesn't know idea. He, counts and multiplies by five and goes from there apparently you know so he ends up basically sending one of his guys up there a guy named charles stone right charles stone we'll, we'll talk a lot about him tonight charles stone yeah. he's a guy who he's going to send charles stone up to that area charles stone he's a west point graduate class of 45 from greenfield he's from massachusetts greenfield massachusetts look at you doing your homework i bet you don't know where that is in massachusetts close to the vermont border oh you suck i told you that <laughs> Exactly. I, I, I hate when you pay attention. Oh, I do. Yeah. Okay, but here's here's something I bet you even you don't know. Okay. Okay. There is a pub in Greenfield that's called the People's Pint Pub, which is really really good. And I bet okay. you didn't know that. So just that's by the. Well, no, I've there. never been there before. But another thing to note about Stone is that a lot of New England during the Civil War, like there was, it was more abolitionist than I think most areas of the country. You have people like Robert Gould Shaw from there. Francis Channing Barlow is a known abolitionist. But Stone is not that way. He's very much like McClellan. He's a Democrat. So he's got same political views as McClellan. Stone's got a pretty cool career. He's in the Mexican War. And then he goes to Europe to study military in France, Prussia, and Sweden, which is something that McClellan did as well. In 1856, like many in the Union Army, he leaves. He's a banker, a gold broker, mineral survey of Mexican state of Sonora. Um, oh, my, old, my old job. Really? <laughs> mineralogist whatever the fuck it's called hi how are you i'm a, i'm your local mineralogist i'm darren you weeks your local mineral hi darren weeks mineralogist 1860 he's asked by general scott to return to the army to organize the dc militia so he organizes 30 companies of militia and he oversees the security arrangements for lincoln's inaugural journey seems like he's building on what could be a very good career here he's definitely got experience he's going to be the one commanding the union troops out of this battle yeah i mean he's going to be a guy to your point not a big abolitionist guy but he's he's running basically a couple of you know two massachusetts regiments the 15th and the 20th that we'll Mm -hmm. talk about he's also in charge of the 42nd New York, as well as the first California. We'll talk about those guys a little bit later. I can first that, that was Baker. We'll, we'll get to him in a few minutes. Yeah. He's got one of these weird jobs. He's a he's in the core of observation, they call it. So he's you think of these core commanders, he's basically the guys who go out and look and just see what the scoop is. So he basically has about sixty five hundred guys and they're gonna go out and they're gonna monitor the rebel positions and movements. You know, they don't have Google Earth there, so they can't cell tell. Cell phone signal sucked. The cell phone signal. You've got a Langley. Virginia sucked. That, that whole area. You, you can't get it's it. It's because the CIA building's there. Oh, see, spooky shit going on there. Yeah. So he's going to find out what the scoop is. So his entire group is just a little bit north of Balls Bluff. So what's going to ultimately happen is they want to find out what the scoop's going on. So Mac is going to talk to Stone, and he's going to basically say, we need to find out, because he's hearing rumors that maybe the Rebs are pulling back out of Leesburg. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't know. He just doesn't know. No. So he, he's going to find out. So he wants to go find out and see what, what the story is. Mac at this time is already getting pressure from the administration to act already. He's already catching shit from the people over there saying, you know, you got to do something. Now, again, this is late October, this time almost this time of year. So it's getting cold. And so it's kind of an unusual time to think about maybe starting some sort of campaign. But again, Washington's nervous. These guys are a little too close and they just are. So he basically wants to find out what the scoop is. So he's going to send a guy named George McCall over there. He's from Philly. So, you know, he's probably going to screw this up because it's Philly. Anyway. That's where Meade's from Pennsylvania. Yeah, he didn't make it. He's dead now. So <laughs> Actually, Meade's technically born in Spain. <laughs> Cadiz, right? Cadiz, yes. Cadiz? Cadiz? Cadiz. C-A-D-I-Z. Okay. Didn't pronounce properly. <gasps> Say Massachusetts. Go ahead. Massachusetts. Nope. Almost. Okay. Anyway, so so he's going to basically find out. So McCauley, he's, he's a Philly guy, and he's going to go up to a place called Drainsville, Virginia, 
which sounds horrible, by the way, Drainsville, Virginia. Yeah. It's about 15 miles away from Leesburg. He wants to see if basically they're still there. He's going to do the demonstration thing. So he's going to basically hope, hope that Evans is gone. What happens is by McCall moving forward, and here's, here's a big confusion here, what happens. McCall's going to move forward, and what happens is Evans is going to know this. He's going to find this out. So what he's going to ultimately do is he's going to move his guys out to, to basically face them. Yeah. So they're going to move away from Leesburg. They're going to head south down towards Drainsville. And that's what's going to happen. So it looks like he's, he's leaving Leesville. Well, what he's doing is he's setting up a defense. He's just moving his line forward. The plan was, was McCall was going to basically be there for a, a day or two. He was going to leave and he was going to head back. What's going on now is because Evans moves forward to kind of back away from, from Leesburg a little bit. There's a signal station that's not far from where the CIA building is called Sugarloaf Mountain, okay? And this is the day before the battle, so it's October 20th, 1861. The wigwag guys, those up, they're up there, and they notice that Evans is not no longer near Leesburg. So now they're like, well, shit. We don't know what's going on now. We got to find out what the scoop is. So Max says, Jesus, you know, maybe, you know, maybe Evans has left. Maybe he's going into winter quarters, maybe he's gone west and he's just leaving it. And we can we can maybe, maybe do something on getting a hold of Leesburg heading into the wintertime. But he doesn't know because he's, you know, he's nervous. So he tells Stone, why don't you go check it out and go see what the deal is. And so, you know, the, the phrase is make a demonstration. Mm-hmm. Demonstration basically means you make a lot of noise. Yeah. You basically fire a bunch of artillery. You just, a demonstration is not an attack, but it can turn into one. Yeah, if you want, if it makes yeah. any if it makes any sense, right? Very, very similar to what Wilder does at um, Chickamauga before the Battle of Chickamauga to distract Braxton Bragg. Similar to what Stevens Stevens does at Gettysburg too, on East yeah. Cemetery Hill. So yeah. Very similar. So they're going to make a bunch of noise and they're going to see if they can draw, if they can see what the scoop is. Mm-hmm. And they do, and basically nothing really happens. They're like, "Well, they're out of there." So we got to do something about this. So Stone is going to basically move to a place called Edwards Ferry. Yeah. which is just a little bit north of Ball's Bluff. He's going to basically continue to bomb the shore. He sends the first Minnesota across the river to see what's up, just check them out a little bit, just to see if there's anything. But they don't see any rebel activity. There's nothing going on. Now we enter another Massachusetts guy by the name of Charles Devins. Yep. Okay, Charles Devins is in charge of the 15th Massachusetts. He's a Harvard guy, so I guess he couldn't get into Boston College either. He lives in a town called Charlestown, which is just north of Boston. If you've ever seen a movie called The Town, it's about Charlestown, which makes it look horrible, like it's all gangsters. I've <laughs> never seen it before. You never saw the movie The Town with Matt, with not Matt Damon, the other one, Ben Affleck? No, nope, never. Nah, the movie sucks anyway, but it's, it makes it look like that the whole town is bank robbers, and it's, it's really not. It's a nice little town. It's got some good restaurants. One thing that's important to understand about this is the timing of this battle. This is very early. Just about everyone in Devin's group is new. They've never seen battle before. They never even, half of them never even fired their damn guns before. So they don't know what the hell they're doing. They have no idea what they're looking for, what they're seeing. What Devin decides to do is he's going to send a portion of his 15th Massachusetts to cross the river and just to scout and see. So now yeah. they're going to go for a place called Harrison's Island, mm-hmm. and they're going to go over to Ball's Bluff. Leading this is Captain Chase Philbrook, yep. who's going to be the one that is tasked by Stone and Devins with having to do this reconnaissance mission. It, this is basically where the battle becomes the clusterfuck because this is when mm-hmm. everything hinges on what Philbert thinks he sees here. This is, yeah, and, this is the mess up. Philbert is a guy. He's in charge of a company called Company H. He's a captain. Has about 20 guys, not too, too many guys. He's going to go over to Ball's Bluff to see what's going on. The timing of the day is important here. It takes a long time to get over this river. And we're going to see this going back and forth and back and mm-hmm. forth, which with these guys struggling to get across the river, okay? So what happens is they finally get over. It's only 20 guys. The, the, where that point of the Potomac is, it's, it's deep and it's a pain in the ass to get across. But it's dark by the time it gets over there or it's dusk or it's, it's, just, it's just dark. It's probably like it is right now. Where it's dark and noontime here now. But it's always basically dark. They get across the river. They don't know what the hell they're looking for. They get across the bluff and they end up in this field, and it's this dark field. This picture is a big field in the middle of the night. Actually, it was the middle of the night. It was probably six, seven o'clock. It was late. Okay, it was scary. It was dark. It's dark. These soldiers are brand new. They don't know what they're looking at. Philbrook looks out across the field. Now, this is a guy. He's he's Philbrook is excited. He's new. He's but he's inexperienced. He, I think he really, really wants to see something and report it back. Mm-hmm. I think he. So he's whatever the hell he's he seen. Does. So he. He looks out he looks out across the field and he sees about 30 or 50 tents that he thinks are abandoned tents. So he thinks he stumbled upon a an old camp, an old Confederate camp. So now he's excited as 
he's more excited than you finding an extra beer in the back of the fridge, you know, <laughs> that you didn't think you had. <laughs> so, so he's all pumped up and he's now he's going to, now he's, Oh my God, I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell these guys. So he ends up going back to report to Devin's Devin's goes, Oh shit. Okay. sounds good. I'm going to go tell General Stone. I'm going to tell him that we found an unguarded camp across the river and we can go, we can go fuck it up. We can go cause problems. As they say from there, Mary, it kind of, uh, it kind of goes off the rails. Yeah. So, so Philbrook has obviously told Stone what he's seen. So Stone sends Devons and 300 men on a raid on October the 21st. What happens is that Devons realizes once they get to where they're going, that they are outnumbered severely and they need troops. So he sends a message back to Stone and says, you need to get me troops. But the problem is they have to get the troops down the river and they only have three boats. And meanwhile, there's a point during this battle where Stone sends McClellan a message because McClellan is like, how are things going? And Stone's like, you know, basically telling him not, not great. We're a little short on boats, <laughs> which is an understatement. Regardless, it's, it ain't a lot. Something, I mean, it's a, like, it's so Stone ordering de- orders Devon's. I think it takes about what he's about three hundred people. Yeah, yeah. To, to go men. to go to go over the river and through the woods, you know, to, to grandmother's house they go, as they go. say. Okay, <laughs> he's going to go, and now they turn from a scouting party into more of a raiding party. Now, now they're going to go over there and they're going to go do some damage. They're going to take with them the twentieth Massachusetts, which is the Harvard Regiment. Gettysburg people know that they will have the fifteenth as well. But now it's going to set up for the next this next day. Now we're getting into the twenty first. Okay, and so basically, what's going to happen at this point? It's going to lead to that continued. They're going to exasperate. It's like the it's like day one at Gettysburg. The mistakes were made are going to carry into the next day. It's really going to lead to this. Yeah, and that's when they they put yeah like Devins has realized that he needs to wait for reinforcements to reach Leesburg. He could be outnumbered by who is Evans Evans men. This is when like so when dawn breaks, the Mississippians under Evans they encounter Devins advanced units and they that's when this battle begins. There's a very sharp skirmish that happens, and this is when the boat problem happens when. We're a little short on boats and they can't get the reinforcements because it creates a bottleneck at this area where they are in the Potomac. And this is where Stone sends Colonel Edward Baker, who is a U.S. senator, um, to take command of the field and assess the situation. And he immediately begins gathering these troops to ferry down the river, but the support doesn't arrive until four hours later, which by that point, it's going to be too late. So Mm -hmm. a little bit about Evans is he was born in England, came over to the U.S. when he was four years old. He is a U.S. senator. Um, He settles in Illinois and he becomes- Baker, Baker, you mean, right? Oh, sorry. Who did I say? You said Evans. Oh, fuck. I'm sorry. Fuck. Okay. Let's take that out. (laughs) No. Start taking that. Okay. <laughs> I won't take it out. I'm I'm sorry. Okay. I got going a little bit on a roll there. Evans on the brain dead. Yeah, wow. apparently. Yeah, well that's who I've been reading up a lot of. Um and I listened to a lecture about it today too, and it mentioned Evans a lot. Mm-hmm. Um so anyway, anyway, Baker is born in England, comes over to the United States when he is four years old. And um he actually eventually settles in Illinois and there he will become friends with Abraham Lincoln. He is a senator. And Wait, the, uh, the Abraham Lincoln, the Abraham Lincoln. Oh, wow. Okay. Abraham Lincoln and Mary named their son Eddie after Edward Baker. That's true. And Eddie unfortunately passes away when he's very, very young before Lincoln is even elected president. He was but, the second, second kid, right? Yes. After Robert. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Baker owes his position to Abraham Lincoln in the army. That's how he gets it. So he is a politically appointed guy in the army. That's how he got it. So that's another thing to keep in mind <laughs> with this battle too is he's not, he's like everybody else in this field. Baker's not very experienced and he really obviously does not have the same army training as those that went to West Point, but he's sent to take command of the field and things do not go well at all. Go back to, you know, the Lincoln thing is, you know, this is a guy who you, you mentioned the center. He actually rode with Lincoln together in his first inaugural. Do you know that? He did. Yep. He did. I mean, so, so this is a guy that joined at the hip. I think, I think very um, close. those kids looked at him as like, he was like, like an uncle. After Baker, well, this is everybody. I mean, it's truth. Like, it's not giving away the ending. Baker will get killed, and actually, Lincoln's son, Willie, will write a poem about his death. Mm-hmm. He did. You want to recite that poem right now? I know the <laughs> end of it. Is, I, know the, I know the end of it is looking at the sky of blue. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that part of it, too. That's yeah. something everybody knows that line. No one knows the rest of it. That's probably, that might be the whole I'm poem. Actually really nice, it's actually a really sad poem. Like, I mean, yeah. really, he... Well, but it just shows the impact of what this guy was. And mm-hmm. so when... Lincoln will find out day or afterwards he's, that he didn't gonna make it. It's gonna have an incredible effect on him. that whole story or something. But but going back a little bit to the battle before you know 
the morning of the 22nd is important because it goes back to the whole point again where they still don't think there's going to be a battle. I mean, they get there right around dawn, Devins gets there, and he finally sees that these camp is trees. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just trees. It's a tree line. In the dark, it maybe looked like tents, but it wasn't tents. It was trees. It reminds me of old Extra Billy over there, July 1st, 1863. Yep. <laughs> too, you know? But he decides, and this is, this is the thing about what's interesting about Devons and Baker and all these guys, is for whatever reason, McClellan gave them carte blanche to do what they wanted. They could do what the hell. I mean, they didn't say, if they're not there, you should leave. They gave them all the power to make those decisions themselves. You know, yeah, go up there McClellan's and figure it out. McClellan's going to use that to his advantage. He is. When this battle is, is over and done with, he's going to use that to his advantage. You know, you know, certainly Devons probably should have saw there was nobody there and got the hell out of Dodge, went back over again and just mm-hmm. reported back. There's nobody here, but he doesn't. He ends up setting up a defensive line on Ball's Bluff and he reports back to Stone saying there's, there's no camp, that, but he's going to, but he says, but I'm staying. We're going to hold a defensive position here on Ball's Bluff. He decides he's going to have, you know, just like you would, you're going to go scout and see what the hell's up. So he sends up the 15th Massachusetts to probe the area. It's a big field with trees surrounding it. This picture of a field with trees around it. There you go. Okay. They end up running into pickets from the 17th Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Right around 7 o'clock in the morning, 8 o'clock in the morning, right around there, early morning. What happens is there's a captain named Duff with the 17th Mississippi. And he is going to basically report back to Evans that this feds on the side of the river. And that's really what kind of begins the mess for the Union. Because mm-hmm. what happens now is those soldiers who are down to Drainsville are not going to start coming back now. Yeah. So it's going to be a wave after wave. And it's going to be a slow building, mounting Confederate attack that's coming. It's not all one time. This is the one time the piecemeal thing actually works to their advantage. Because it's a different wave coming and coming and coming that's going to come. Ultimately, what's going to happen is Evans is going to move troops back to that battlefield again. And it's going to start to put a lot of pressure on the 15th Mass. Now, again, the 15th Mass isn't all there yet. This is still just a portion. This is still a couple hundred guys. I mean, this isn't a lot of people. Early in the morning, he sends a message saying to, to Stone, Stone's message to Devons, uh, that there's nobody, there's nobody here. Mm-hmm. So by the time the message reaches Devons, the battle's already started. Yeah. Except Devons gets the message and says, there's, no, there's nothing. Now, he couldn't hear it. Maybe who the hell knows why he couldn't hear anything. But there's that gap in time. But to his credit, he does decide to send the remainder of the 15th Mass and the 20th Mass over the river to Balls Bluff. And again, it goes back to that whole mess we were talking before about how long it takes to cross that river. Yeah, it's four, four hours you know? because there's a bottleneck created because they only mm-hmm. have three boats. You can only have two of them can hold very few men in terms of getting an arm, ferrying an army across. The other one, again, it's a little bit bigger, but still it can't get very many men across and it creates this bottleneck. But this is, it's this, that this delay that allows the Confederate commanders time to organize their forces and just keep bringing in fresh troops and just keep throwing, they keep throwing them at the union army by mid afternoon, Evans is going to lead a counterattack against the union army. Whatever resistance the federals were offering this is where Baker gets mortally wounded and it falls. Like he, he's done and his men are like, fuck this, evacuate well, the dance floor. Right. Well, B- Baker, he, he ends up getting there late. I mean, he finally gets across and, yeah. and, you know, Stone sends Baker over, over, you know, when Stone sends Baker, he's still under the impression that, that there's really no fight. And again, he gets Baker and this is where Baker's going to get in trouble later, but he gets killed not to spoil the end to your yeah. point. But he gives Baker full discretion again. He says, go over there and do whatever the hell. Just do, it, do what you got to do. Baker basically is trying to get guys across the river. To your point, they got three or four boats at most. Yeah. It takes them four hours to mm-hmm. get all those guys over the bridge. Now you're talking 11 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And guess what happens when they get over there? Now they see there's a freaking battle going on. Baker wasn't, I mean, again, he doesn't have a lot of experience. He's not a, not a West Point guy. He spends most of his battle basically looking for boats. Mm-hmm. He's walking up and down the shore, looking for what looking for a, for a freaking robot. With yeah. you know, so they're trying to they're trying to build boats, they're trying to put these little things together, and they're trying to get the guys across. But the reality is, he's in charge of the field, and he's not there because he's looking for boats. Apparently, that's what he's doing. You have basically you have a situation where you have a limited amount of slow arriving Federals, but you also have a faster arriving Confederates by the numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that's like what I was saying right? before: is the delay yeah. has right. created time for them to organize the troops you know 
So, I mean, they're, they're thinking, well, you know, the Rebs, then the reports that the Rebs have 4,000 guys. I mean, they yeah. didn't, but that's, they're thinking that's how much it was. So Baker basically is going to finally arrive around two o'clock in the afternoon. So he's going to get there at Ball's Bluff. It's part of that slow arrival of the union guys that are coming, but now he's finally on the field. So now Baker is finally on the battlefield. He sees now what's in front of him, which is he sees the 15th mass and he sees these other regiments showing up that are really going to be, that are in trouble. And they're in a fishbowl. They're shooting fish. I've never shot fish in a barrel before in Italy. I'm not going to lie to you, <laughs> but, but I imagine this is kind of close to what it was. What's happening is as the union is showing up piecemeal as they're, you know, Baker's finding the boats and he's getting them over here. He's, He's got Gilligan and all of them get on the boat, bring them across. <laughs> he finally gets over there as the 17th and 18th Mississippi and the 8th Virginia and the Calvary is showing up. And they're showing up in mass. And so now it's basically what they're doing is they're going in the woods and they're surrounding the woods and they're just firing. And these union guys are up against the bluff. They're basically elbow to elbow. They can't shoot all at the same time because there's too many people. These muskets are 10 feet long, Mary, these mm-hmm. muskets. So it's kind of like being on a subway. It's like being on a subway with a 10-foot-long gun. Have you done that? (laughs) Not recently. No, I haven't either. That's why why they don't let me on the subway anymore, in case you're curious. The situation is getting worse and worse and worse for the union. So so you've got a situation, just envision it in your mind, okay? You've got a bunch of guys slowly showing up, and they're all too close. And now there's there's more and more and more guys coming. And I I have to think Baker must have felt like, where the hell are these guys coming from? It's like all of a sudden more and more and more keep coming. There wasn't as many as they thought, but it certainly must have felt that way. Throw in the terrain. I mean, you're talking about valleys and these real st- stiff undulations. <laughs> Rolling hills. Rolling hills, undulations. <laughs> and so basically, there's not a lot of room. I mean, now you've got the 15th Mass, the 20th Mass. You've got the 42nd New York, which I call the Jackie Robinson. <laughs> regiment because 42nd year that's what i call them anyway so that's what it's officially called you have the first california the california regiment who that's ended up being the first leading right that's his, right that was baker's and so it turns into the 71st pennsylvania at gettysburg mm-hmm. in case you're curious if you go to the monument next to the big old tree right at the angle there's a monument for the california regiment that's who these guys are but the terrain is very very difficult to deal with it's very clogged more and more guys show up. Now the union casualties are starting to mount because as you can imagine, especially some of the officers, one of the officers in the 20th mass is Oliver Wendell Holmes, mm-hmm. right? He gets shot twice in the chest, but lives. He goes on to become a Supreme Court justice. So he survives the battle, obviously. Um, but the big loss to your point, an hour and a half ago, we mentioned Baker being killed. Um, <laughs> the stuff that goes on behind the scenes, I tell you. Edward Baker, Abraham Lincoln's friend, the only sitting U.S. senator ever killed in battle, he's going to get killed. And he's going to get killed pretty badly. Mm-hmm. There are stories that he was hit five times simultaneously, yeah. once in the chest, four times in the head, all at the same time. And so he ain't, he ain't going to make it. He's going to go up the spout, unfortunately for him. He's going to be killed instantly. At this point, the retreat is on. Baker is down. A lot of these other guys are down. And now this, they're going to run into the same exact problem they had now as they got over here which is they have no way to get back yeah that you was know? it was it was difficult enough to get over there and now they've got to get back and that too is just another reason that this battle is such a clusterfuck it's, it, well, some of the men if they survive the battle they're going to end up drowning but these guys the same issues they had in a battle they never should have been at in the mm-hmm. first place because there was no easy way to get there now they're pinned down and they can't get out and they're stuck. So they're trying to retreat. Now it's a full-on panic, every man for themselves. I mean, just imagine how that must have been. They're trying to makeshift boats. They're sinking. These guys are drowning, yeah. to your point. You only have a handful of boats and these guys are carrying all their stuff. And you know what the Confederates are doing? They're shooting at the boats now to mm-hmm. make things worse for them. And these guys must be like, are you kidding me? So now the boats are under fire. They're getting hit. The dudes are jumping in the water, trying to swim across. They're drowning. They're being shot. And it ends up being a complete and utter mess. Paul Revere, not the Paul Revere, but Mm -hmm. Paul Revere, the grandson, he's actually going to be captured. Mm -hmm. The commander of of the 42nd New York, Cogswell, he's going to get captured. This is quickly turning into an absolute foobar situation. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is is a Sunday morning in Goderich situation here. (laughs) Beyond all recognition. Uh, uh, (laughs) That might be us tomorrow morning. It's one of those, hey, Mary, how's your morning? (laughs) Fucker.
just don't talk so loud that's <laughs> that that's how it's going to be so it's basically a complete disaster and finally stone finally is learning of this he's like he's finding mm -hmm. he gets he finds out a little bit later on while this is still going on two pieces of information one they're getting their asses kicked and two baker is dead he gets those two pieces of information pretty quick, pretty quickly. It ends up being a real mess because there's, there's, there's stories about how these soldiers are finding Union bodies as far south as, as Mount Vernon. Yeah, there was a body that washed you know? ashore, ashore at Mount Vernon. And like you know? in the morning, like citizens of Washington wake up and there would be bodies along the... Now, by Georgetown Vernon, University, so. there, there, was, there was one guy. He must have been pretty rotted out because they, don't, they, they only recognize him by his distinct shoes yeah. he wore. Yep, that was, and um, I think it, they, yeah, his shoes and his teeth were his teeth, how I mean. they identified him. Like it was, I mean, it was really horrific. Devins was one of the ones that ended up in the water too. Yeah, a lot, a lot of the guys did. You know who was pretty pissed off about this battle, Mary? Everybody in the North was, about, was pretty pissed off. Yeah, was, this, this, this is one that really, really, because you got to think again, it goes back to the timing, right? Mm -hmm. It goes back to the timing where, okay, you had Bull Run, absolute pantsing okay you also had wilson's creek smaller battle pantsing now it's balls bluff mm -hmm. it's a balls pantsing on this one which okay. it never it never should have happened and i had found a really good quote from i read a essay about it by a guy named james a morgan and he mm -hmm. described the battle as a simple accident that resulted from a faulty report provided by an inexperienced officer mm -hmm. um, who led a reconnaissance patrol and thought he saw something that was not there like that is what this like that just goes back to what we said earlier in the episode about like the the recon mission and where he saw the trees and thought they were tents that's what sets the ball rolling on this had he seen the trees it never you know had he been like oh those are trees this never would have happened and this battle has to me like coming away studying it it's got such far-reaching effects more so politically but just how it affects um, like future generals of the army of the potomac especially it's going to affect mm -hmm. them but I mean, you think about the human cost. We talked about yeah. the, some of these guys who have cost. Now Baker, you know, this whole story with Baker is unbelievable because you mentioned before about how close he was with with Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. So Lincoln finds out the next day because mm -hmm. the telegram thing. So ironically, McClellan is meeting with Lincoln at the White House this very moment. McClellan gets the note. He gets handed to him. McClellan reads it, folds it, probably goes, puts the note away. Do you like me? Yes, no, circle one. It's probably one of those notes. <laughs> and, and so, but he doesn't tell Lincoln. He just says, you know, no, no, it's nothing laundry. Nothing laundry, that's no big deal. Yeah. And this is fine. His, <laughs> everything's good. Everything's good. And so Lincoln ultimately finds out later on himself. He goes to the yep. War Department. He gets the telegraph, finds out. And he's devastated. He's stories he's crying. He's This is a story that he almost couldn't walk. He was so yep. upset. You feel bad for that. I mean, this is a guy who is losing family. You know, he, he lost his second son at this point. Willie, who had late, would die later, was a yep. huge, you mentioned the poem, yep. was, a, was a huge fan of him. It was basically like Uncle Eddie. But again, he was put in a situation where he probably never should have been, ever. He benefited by who he was. Unfortunately, it did, it did cost him. Baker's death in the North became a battle cry in the North, is what it did. It, yeah, it, it really it was made, um, it was very political well it spread ended up a real big deal yep. with everything with that the political impact to your point we're, we're going to talk about that for a few minutes so the things that created the, the human impact of this battle right off the bat the, you know if you want to take a look at some of the uh, the casualty numbers i'm sure you have them there with you <laughs> you can dad you can dazzle us dazzle <laughs> us with your mcclellan I, math. I didn't write them. oh wait 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 i've got well, them i've got them in case you need them there i've got your back so total forces engaged are 3429 it's about 1700 each exactly yeah 1700 each estimated casualties are 1157 mm -hmm. 1002 of these are union and 155 are confederate that is what is that is that a 90 it's it's like 80 percent Right around there. Close. It wasn't as bad as the other one. But of these, 223 are killed, 226 are wounded, and 553 are missing and captured. And a lot of those are from the drownings that happen afterwards. Right. And a lot of these guys, and we mentioned some of the guys who got captured. Revere was captured. Cogswell was captured. Yeah. It takes a lot of that. But basically, it, it ends up, as usual, I mean, you have over 200 dead soldiers right off the bat, you're dead, including Baker, the senator. It turns to the old classic... Northern Army, he said, she said thing. It turns into the blame game now. Stone obviously was, was scapegoated. 
he was who was blamed for it. A lot of people felt that there was a some sort of weird conspiracy thing going on, like like how could they lose first Manassas and mm-hmm. how could they lose Wilson's Creek and now it's but now it's Baldwin. Something must be wrong. Right after the battle, like we mentioned before, there's a lot of finger pointing going on. And you know who gets blamed, unfortunately? Stone. But it's well, Stone eventually, but who gets blamed at the beginning was Baker, right? Yeah. So Stone and Mac, they blame Baker. And truth be told, they're not wrong. I mean, some of the quotes, no, I mean, not. Stone had said, Colonel Baker chose to begin the battle. That's what Stone said. And then McClellan said, the disaster was caused by errors committed by Commander Baker. So they're both right off the bat. They're saying, shit, this is going to get bad. Eventually, it ended up Congress blaming Stone, Yeah. which we'll tell about that whole fiasco, what happened to Stone. Oh, yeah. The, you know? the main one leading the charge behind that was Charles Sumner. Yeah. He blames Stone. Now Sumner is an abolitionist and Stone is not. And there's a they're looking for a scapegoat in this battle. Mm-hmm. So on February the 8th, 1862, George Sykes, who is going to later be at the Battle of Gettysburg, arrives at the headquarters of Charles Stone. And he's like, you're under arrest. And Stone is, what the fuck? What did I you know do? What's, you know what Sykes says? He says, I don't know either. Yeah, he's like, I don't know. I'm just here. <laughs> he goes, they told me to take you away. Yeah. So he gets arrested. He says, why am I getting arrested? Sykes goes, I don't know. You know, just get, get in the back of the car. But it gets even more hilarious because he ends up going to Fort Lafayette, New York Harbor, which is yeah. a real shithole. It always Stone, has been, right? When Stone found out, he said, that's where they send secessionists. Yeah. I have been as true a soldier to the government as any in service. And this is the thing where it's like, I watched a really good lecture about this from given at Gettysburg. Oh God, what was the guy's name? But he said the one thing about this is like, what did loyalty mean? Mm-hmm. And that's a, that was such a good question in that lecture. Is what did you know what loyalty, loyalty mean? means? So, so Stone, he gets arrested. Okay. He writes a letter saying, this is obviously, this is a joke. This is a misunderstanding. Yeah. He gets no response. So he ends up having to take the train from Washington to New York City. And he gets to the train station. They said, oh, by the way, you're going to pay for your own train ticket to yep. jail. And he's like, fuck this. So he ends up having to pay his own way to go to prison. He's in there for a little while. He's released in 64. Basically, released from the army anyway. He gets, he gets out of jail. He leaves the army. He's, he's done. That's the end of him. And it just ends up basically to the creation of that joint committee on the conduct of war, yeah. which I know you're all excited to talk about. This is basically the, besides the casualties, this is the one of the biggest things, one of the biggest ramifications that the Battle of Balls Bluff has. And we've all heard the name, the Joint Committee on the Conduct of War before. It especially comes up after the Battle of Gettysburg with uh, Sickles and Meade being involved in that. I read a, one account that it says Gettysburg is the most colorful part of the Joint Committee of the Conduct of War. This is why we, one of the reasons we felt that Ball's Bluff was an important battle to talk about uh-huh. because it has such big ramifications down the road. It leads to the creation of this committee. So this committee is created, it's dominated by radical Republicans. So uh-huh. there, you know, it's very political. Henry Wilson, who I think he was on the com- committee, he summed it up this way. It's to teach men in civil and military authority that the people expect, expect they will not make mistakes and we shall not be easy with their errors. So basically they're saying to the generals, if you fuck up, we are gonna fuck you over. But the thing is, is this thing is very politically driven. It's very much radical Republicans. And you look at who Charles Stone is, he's a Democrat. So I'm not saying either is right. I'm just saying you have to look at this from a political standpoint. Right, exactly you do. From the bias that exists, the scapegoating. He didn't carry the water. The the radical Republicans, the the hard charging, go, go, go. They want to know part of a guy named Charles Stone because he was from Massachusetts. He was basically not an abolitionist he didn't like you mentioned at the beginning he wasn't mm-hmm. part of the gould shaw the, that type of group yeah. he wasn't he wasn't part of them so he was somebody who was an outcast mm-hmm. and he's an easy target i mean they didn't even think they thought lincoln wasn't aggressive enough right if you think about yeah. it they wanted these guys you know be aggressive you know you need to basically you know just go end this and you know what they were probably right though because at the time they were still fighting that battle i mean this whole war with an arm, one arm behind their back mm-hmm. they really were it ends up being a lot more aggressive but i think this is probably the beginning i know this we talked before we started about how long this, this committee lasted for it ended when the war ended but there was yep. ramifications and similar groups that came down the road later mm-hmm. later yep. wars. sherman but, actually um uncle blingy sherman is the, one of the last ones to testify at it was he a mineralogist too? Actually, he discovered the gold rush. So yes, he was. We did. He was. That's hence the beginning, he was a the banker. genesis. 
on the Uncle Blingy name because he could yeah. he could tell the gold. So could, but for the most part, he, he it was it really I think set the stage where these generals are walking on eggshells for the rest of the war. Absolutely, it did. Like you you can't like they were probably all thinking of stone, right? Like that's what this one um, licensed battlefield or, or park ranger. Hope I'm should really find out his name because he did. The You're talking about Chris Chris Evans at Gettysburg, yes, right? Yeah. Yeah. The Massachusetts man. There yep, might be an yep. opportunity. Chris Evans, this lecture he gave, like, you know, he made a remark that they all had stone in the back of their minds because of what could happen. Like if you had somebody politically that had something against you and you were a general and you did something that might not, might be bad, but not quite enough to get you before the joint committee, you might be brought before the joint committee because they might dig up other shit on you or whatever. The first one that goes through this is actually, it's obviously stone for what happened at Ball's Bluff. So he testifies, but then what he doesn't know is there's these other witnesses that are coming in to testify, some of whom had never fought at Ball's Bluff and Stone had had charges against them for whatever reason. So they had vendettas against him. And they came mm -hmm. in and they said things like he was talking to the rebels across the river. Apparently there was one account that Evans... Shanks Evans, am I getting that name right? Because I mixed it up earlier. <laughs> Yo, you're having a tough night with the names. Though. I am. Um, Evans had called Stone, or Evans had called Stone a gentleman. And apparently, that was quite not good. That they took that like, well, if the rebels calling him a gentleman, then he must not be of good character, kind of thing. Stone is going to be held at Lafayette Prison for I think it's about 189 days. He gets released August 16th, 1862 never ever found out why he was brought up on charges other than he has to go testify for for Ball's Bluff but in that time he writes three people he writes Lincoln he writes Stanton and he likes he writes McClellan and he wants answers none of them ever write him back and I was shocked to learn that about Lincoln because that seems like Lincoln as a lawyer this guy's looking for justice and Lincoln's like silent on it so that was I was like wow that's that's quite interesting but this is something to take away from this battle just how much the politics is playing into the military situation and how you have someone like stone who does actually have quite a he, you know he had a promising career it's ruined because of this now he does go on to do some pretty cool things after the war so he ends up going down to new orleans for a while then he's with banks another massachusetts there i butchered it again how was he from Waltham. banks oh my god yes you got it Waltham. So in 1870, <laughs> Stone actually goes to Egypt, where he's chief of staff to the Khedive of Egypt. And for 12 years, he helps to build an army in Egypt. And then he also does surveys along the Nile. He's also one of the chief, he's also one of the chief engineers involved with the construction of the Statue of Liberty. And he dies in 1887 and he is buried at West Point. He does have quite a good career after, but because of what happens to him in the Civil War, it could have like, you know, who knows if Ball's Bluff hadn't happened, like where he might've gone in the Civil War, right? Like it just shows these ramifications that he's been made into a scapegoat. Well, that's exactly the whole thing. And that that's the whole thing is the scapegoats. And that this is something that comes out over and over and over and over and over again throughout this war is, is it, it's, it's bad enough you lose a war. I mean, understand that, you know, mo and this is where you know, McClellan gets bashed a lot by not being aggressive and all that. But you think about this whole battle started, this whole battle, which ended up being a complete, complete disaster. This whole battle started because they went into battle with troops who literally had not fired a gun before. They would think they saw trees that there, that, that there were tents. The captain of Company H, Philbrook, he was new. This, this was his first thing. And they send him to make that decision. I mean, so there's a lot of mistakes that were made. Instead of just simply realizing they were mistakes and learn from them, they had to be aggressive. McClellan wanted to train these guys. There's a reason why he wanted to train them. And this is exactly why. At the end of the day, you have a battle that probably a lot of people probably haven't heard of uh, unless you really study it. But it really set the stage for a lot of the stuff that came later on with generals being blamed for almost everything. Basically, Washington basically making the decisions for these people. And then you had this Joint Committee of Conduct of War, which kind of hung over the whole thing, mm -hmm. which is kind of like this, the oracle, the, you know, the man on the balcony who was just basically dictating down the stuff yeah. that was going on. Yeah. If you're going to force these guys to go and fight, and especially going into a different I don't want to say different country, but they, they, were, they weren't going into Virginia. I guess theoretically they were, I suppose. But, but you're doing that with very little troop experience, but you're expecting all these generals who have very little experience themselves. A lot of them were, you know, 
Baker himself was not a West Point guy. He was even an American guy, you know, come over from England and he didn't have a lot of experience with it, but he's the one. And I think it goes back to a lot of these guys with Baker to Devins to stone. They seem to have unlimited discretion. And that went away as the, as the war went on. Yeah. They, they didn't have that. And I think that was a big mistake too, is that these guys didn't know what they were doing. I mean, how do you honestly send regiment after regiment, full regiments across the river without knowing the strength of the enemy. And McClellan, I mean, this is the time, you know, he thought there was 4,000 guys, was only about 1,700. If you think there's that many guys and McClellan didn't know all the details, how do you expect to fight and not expect to have, you have to retreat, how to get back? It took you this long to ferry the men over, which was what, about four hours by the time Baker got over there. You know, it's going to be a clusterfuck getting back from the moment where they saw the trees that they thought were tents. It's just, it's the battle that never, ever should have happened, unfortunately. I mean, how do you expect, and totally honestly, how do you expect to to fight a battle with no real retreat plan, with Mm -hmm. troops which have no experience whatsoever, with generals who have no experience whatsoever, and then wonder when it goes wrong? Yeah. And, and I mean, McClellan is to blame in this too, because he's basically sitting back. And then when it comes out, like he writes a letter to his wife and says like, I am not to blame for any of this because I didn't know what was fucking going on. How could he not? Because Stone sends him that message where he's like, we're a little short on boats. Captain Crunch would know this was a mistake going in. And he's not even a real guy. He's a cartoon <laughs> character on a cereal box. And even he knew this wasn't going to work compared to some of these guys who are really these generals. Hmm. So I, I think at the end of the day, it turned into a learning experience. It proved McClellan right that he had to train these guys. Yeah. They weren't they weren't ready for prime time just yet. What it ultimately did is it helped build a military political infrastructure that kept the guidelines that was going to be based on scapegoating the rest of the war. And that that's yeah. that was in a nutshell. And that's all because of false bluff. Yeah, yeah. And it was just so like, you know, those generals, like, you know, they're thinking every time they have to make a decision, shit, if this goes wrong or if somebody's got a vendetta against me. I could get called before the joint committee and I might go the way of Charles Stone and get thrown in jail for no reason for 189 days in Lafayette prison where they keep the secessionists. You understand why like they, they had a fear of this and what the ramifications of this battle are. They're very far reaching. We'll go right to the end of the civil war. I don't think that the theater or I don't think in the Western theater, the generals had as much concern with it because I think it was every single commander of the AOP got brought, brought before this committee. It's a group that you obviously don't want to get called in front of, but I mean, there are so many things that you can't control through it, that if you did get called in front of it, you were going to get blamed. But in Stone's case, you know, he gets shipped off to the, the island of misfit toys, doesn't even get told. Yeah. And he ends up being there for a while. And then he ultimately gets kicked out of the army and just walks away. And yeah. you know, like, Massachusetts guy, you don't do that to mass guys. You know that's seriously. I know. Cause they're the best, right? They are the best. <laughs> Greenfield though. That's, that's basically Vermont. That's he's oh, anyway, Devons though. One thing to add. Yeah. That Devons guy is uh, pretty badass, isn't he? I don't uh, you know. Good guy. He's a Harvard guy. I think he yeah. couldn't get into BC, but that's okay. A lot of people can't. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the joint committee is actually going to meet 272 times during the war. From its formation in uh, late 1861, early 1862, till when it disbands, basically May 22nd, 1865, is when General Sherman is going to give his the final testimony there. So you think 272 times that they meet mm-hmm. ends up being a mess. And I think you know this this is a situation where maybe that's partially the reason why Lincoln maybe took a more of a firm step going forward. Mm-hmm. You know, because he had this group who wanted to be more aggressive. and But this could have instilled, now thinking about that, you just mentioned that this, the Ball's Bluff could have put fear in him. Like, holy shit, we got to have a closer eye on what's going on. Oh, I think you absolutely had to. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to. And, it, it, you know, obviously led to meddling and a lot of stuff. But I mean, but, I mean it, it does explain a lot. I mean, we've said this a billion times, okay? We have all these years to look back on this stuff. Yep. Everything here happened in real time. It's just understanding that all war is politics, all politics mm-hmm. is war. Someone made up that phrase, it wasn't me. I'm, I'm gonna claim it though. <laughs> I mean, I'm just gonna claim it. Darren said Darius. that, that's a quote, you quote that. Put that in uh, Shinzu's war book, Darren's yeah. quote. No, but, isn't but, it uh, Colonel Von Schimmelfucker the third quote? Oh yeah, it was the third, he was an interesting guy. 
Nice guy. Monocle guy, but a good guy. Everything was going on as politics. I mean, war is an extension of politics. It's a different level of politics. But I think it, it all boils down to the fact that these guys not only needed to win, but they needed to be getting credit for the win. And that was mm-hmm. a part of it too. Yeah. And when things went bad, you had to have someone to blame. Yeah. You know, Stone and McClellan <laughs> originally blaming Baker because I mean, Baker's dead. And you know what? If Baker didn't get killed, he probably would have got court-martialed and maybe would have got yep. sent over to Lafayette too, even though he was a senator. Because yep. he really, I mean, you, wanted, you really want to put a blame game? I mean, don't you kind of have to blame Baker a little? Oh, kind of? absolutely. Yeah, there was a lot of them to blame, but some of it does fall on Baker's shoulders too. But I wonder, given just how the Met, how the senators rallied around him, I don't know that he would have been thrown in prison. I, I think that Stone might have taken the fall again too. It, you know, just looking at how they were like, no, this is wrong. Okay, let's go after that guy who's not the abolitionist. Let's go after Stone. Probably right. He probably wouldn't have gone to jail. He probably would have got, he probably would have lost his command though. They probably yeah, would have he, he probably would have lost his command and he would have went back to being a senator. But, you know. you know, who knows? Like, you know, you look at some other politically appointed generals or politicians that were generals like, well, another politically appointed one, McClernand. I mean, he eventually lost his command. He stays in a lot longer than he should have. There was some good debate on McClernand on Twitter today, was, Mary. yeah. I didn't read it because it was 800 messages, but... Yeah, and I was like on a kind of Twitter silence thing today too because of the election, so... Oh, and you got scolded today. I know I did. Well... <laughs> Got scolded well, and, and, I'm the one, and, I'm, and I'm the one who took a friendly fire for you, by the way. Yeah, I know you did. I thanked you for it. Oh, yeah, sure. I'm sure it's very heartfelt. Thank you on that one. I'll buy you a beer in Gettysburg. Oh, wow. Okay. One for me. One for two for me. One for you. <laughs> I know that works. But, uh, but, I, but I think... <laughs> God. But I do, I do think at the end of the day, though, it, it, does, it does bring up a good point. We mentioned at the beginning how this civil war spawned 10,000 battles. Yeah. And this one may not be the most important one as far as the mainstream goes, but it's one that kind of ran through the, the fiber of all the battles going forward. Because I think, the, I think the, the legacy of Ball's Bluff stayed with all the generals going forward, through, especially on the Union side, obviously, yeah. throughout the rest of the battle until ultimately at the end of the day, the Union won, but they went through generals the way they went through socks. And that's just the way it was because yep. they, they couldn't, every time there was a loss, someone had to be blamed and, and that's how it was. Yep. Absolutely. So, Ball's Bluff. I think we had a really good discussion about that tonight. I'm glad we discussed it. It's one of the lesser known battles. So it's good mm-hmm. to, especially like 1861, like admittedly, I'm not as well versed in 1861 as I am in say 63, 64 and the first part of 65. Well, it's it's basically a bunch of wars in one. I mean, the yeah. first, I mean, 1861, again, you had soldiers who literally were showing up with guns they didn't know how to yep. load, never saw battle. They yep. were seeing, think about it, they were seeing dead soldiers for the first time. They were seeing injuries for the first time. Yep. You got to imagine, you know, how fast they must have ran when everything went bad. And then you can't blame them. These are volunteers. This, these mm-hmm. aren't dudes from, you know, trained military guys. These are yep. farmers and clerks and everything else. Bar owners, clowns, balloon bang, pilots. Bang, bang barn owners maybe a couple of mimes thrown in there for fun, but there weren't a lot of military guys. And so it's, it really comes down to it. So I think it's a good story. I think I'm glad we did this one. I think it's yep. fun to get back on the battles again. Yeah. So coming attractions, we obviously have our live on Saturday, yes. 10 right? O'clock. 10 o'clock AM. Mm-hmm. Be there, be square. And then next week we are going to do part one of March to the sea. Oh, and one thing we're going to mention too is next Monday we are going to be guests on John Heckman's tattooed historian thing, which we are yep, very excited about. Yes, our yes, friend we John. are very excited. Um, if you haven't followed, like you can find John on Facebook, he's tattooed historian. He's on Twitter is at Inked Historian. He's a really good follow. He knows his uh, he knows a shit about history. He's he's quite knowledgeable in a lot of different areas of history. So John is the best. He is a good guy, yep. and we're going to be very excited to be on that. Uh, we're going to be on there. Hopefully, Mary's in a good mood. I guess we'll never know. <laughs> we'll find out. We don't know what the hell she's going to bring that night, but uh, but I'm looking forward to that. And then um and then next next week we are going to be doing March to the Sea. March to the Sea, which means Uncle Blingy. And yeah. really, it was going to be, I know he was part of the Atlanta one, but this is going to be his real introduction to the Civil War Breakfast Club, I yeah. think. I think this is going to be the one. Yeah, and we're gonna... only going to do part of the March to the Sea, and then we're going to leave you all hanging until close to Christmas. Yeah. Spoiler, though, he does get there, yeah. actually. But, 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 just, I think like, good... but just, like the, just like everybody in Washington didn't know where 
he was for a while. That's where we're going to leave you guys. Mm-hmm. And then we have the battles for Chattanooga coming up as well. And we got, we're going to be doing a little battle of Franklin, correct? Yep. yep. Some point we will be for sure. Probably in the, I think we'll probably have to do that one in December. And yeah, we got lots of fun stuff coming up. We're going to do also battle of Fredericksburg in, in December as well. And we're going to have a lot of different fun. So I think this was a good one. I think we can, I think you can, you said balls many times. You didn't giggle once. That's all. That's a good thing. <laughs> I'm going to give you credit for that. I thought there'd be like trouble with this one. It's okay i think overall this was a good one so i think we can pretty much pull the plug on balls um on balls bluff i almost said balls creek but that's um the story balls falls the is the beer i'm drinking balls falls <laughs> yeah you know, but but again everybody thanks for listening for this this will drop obviously saturday so hope you're enjoying your early part of the weekend hope you survive the rest of the week i think we've done enough damage for one nightmare i think we can get ready to shut this down and we can uh, go live our our lives as productive as we possibly can i think so too yeah. All right. Well, we will talk to you all soon. Again, thanks for listening. We will see you at the live on Saturday. We will mention the thing on Monday, but definitely check out Tattooed Historian Monday as you will see our smiling, goopy faces live on your TV screen slash iPad slash phone. So anyway, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you all next time. See you guys. Peace out. Bye.